letters. What that means is those were Jesus' exact words, his own words. And uh, not, not that they carry any more weight than the whole of the Bible because all of the Bible is inspired, but I just kind of like to know I'm hearing him. And I want to take you to the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And uh, a, a pretty common, if I could use that, portion of scripture. One we ought to be semi or at least mostly familiar with. And it says this. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than the meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. How much better are they, or how much are you better than they? For which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they toil not, neither do they spin. But I say unto you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was not yet arrayed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more shall he not clothe you? O ye of little faith, take, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need all of these things. And here's where we're getting to. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For morrow shall take the thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now I, all of that, I just wanted to put it in perspective. I'm not going to preach on two masters. I'm not going to preach on the love of money. I'm not going to preach on uh, the, the raiment and all of that. I'm glad I can go to the store and buy some clothes. Uh, but I want you to see that, that verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. The things that we by nature tend to worry about. The things by nature that we're all kind of that flows in our mind if you'll seek him first. But it doesn't say just seek him. It says seek his kingdom. And that's what I want to talk to you today by the help of the Lord and preach the kingdom of God. Would you just put a thumb in your Bible and would you just help me pray that God's word would speak to you and me at the same time. Father, we thank you today. And Lord, I thank you that I'm able to stand behind this pulpit. I don't take lightly the ability to preach your word. And I'm asking right now that you would allow me to take the word of God. Don't let me add one thing. Don't let me take one thing away. But through the words that you have spoken into my life, by the foolishness of preaching, your word says we must teach. And so, God, I'm going to preach by the help of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. Again, I'm so glad each one of you are here. The kingdom of God. If ever I have ever attempted to preach a message that was uh, very big in scope, today would be it. The more I looked, the more I researched, and, and let me just tell you, it's amazing in this day and age with the technology we have how easy it is to, to get a glimpse of and study the Bible. 
I can, I can go, I have a, a, a very large Bible program on my computer, and uh, I can go in there and I can type any word I want to type, and it will show me every verse in the Bible that, that has that. And then I can choose other versions of the Bible and do the same thing. When I begin to research the kingdom of God, it was bigger than I had even anticipated. And, and I would like to first say in verse 33, that seek ye first part. I've preached many a sermon and many a thought on that phrase, seek ye first. This command, it seems to be so simple, but yet it is filled with promise in fullness, and I dare say that if I was to ask each of you as an individual, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? I, I would be shocked if there was somebody here that couldn't give me a, a good understanding of that verse. Simply put, it means to put God first in your life. It means to put his commandments first in your life. Basically, if you'll get on the right track with God, the rest of your life will line up. If you think of a train track, the first thing that matters is you get that locomotive going the right direction. And then if you get that locomotive going the right direction, it can pull hundreds of cars behind it. If you'll get your life on the right direction with God, everything else will hooked on and be right. Put God first. But the longer I read that verse, and I've told you many times, I carry little pieces of paper and notepads. I carry digital notes on my phone, and, and, and I'm constantly looking at them throughout the week. And I am drawn not today to the seek ye first part. I'm drawn to the kingdom of God. It's a common saying, as I said earlier, in the New Testament. There's another saying that, that's parallel to it. You have the kingdom of God. And you have the kingdom of heaven. And I have seen people try to separate those and say the kingdom of God is this and the kingdom of heaven is that. But I would tell you that those are not two different things. They work together. In fact, I can prove it to you by taking you to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus, his, his, again, Jesus' own words, this is what he said. Jesus said to his disciples, verily I say unto you, that word verily means listen up. Just a fancy way of saying, hey, everybody, do I have your attention? Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Did you notice that Jesus used both of those phrases in the same way? So I just, I just had to go there, whether you hear me say kingdom of God or hear me say kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing, the kingdom of God. It's so full. I really need to preach a whole month on this, but I'm going to limit it at least at first to this morning and tonight. What I want to do by the help of the Lord this morning is to tell you that the kingdom of God is right now and that you can be a part of the kingdom of God right now. But tonight I want to take it a step further and tell you brother Jared that not only is the kingdom of God right now and not only are there promises for you right now but the kingdom of God is also in the future and there's another promise and a whole nother side of it that's going to happen one day when that trumpet sounds. And so by the help of the Lord I'm going to tell you that the, the kingdom of God is both right now and in the future. In order for me to understand the kingdom, I've got to take you to the book of Daniel. Now, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but if you'd like to follow in your Bible, if you'd like to take notes, you can turn to Daniel chapter 2, 
in verse 31. And, and you'll realize that before this, this is when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And when he had this dream, he could not understand it. It, it kind of bothered him. He saw this, this giant statue. And, and in it, the dream, he saw that the head of the statue was made of gold. And then the two arms and the chest of the statue was made of silver. And the belly and the thighs were made of, of uh, bronze. And then there were two legs of iron. And then as you got to the ankles and the feet, the legs of iron became mixed with clay. And then all of a sudden, this gigantic uh, stone began to roll out of the mountain. Later it says it was the mountain. And it begins to roll and it hits the feet of that uh, statue and the statue falls. And perhaps you could stop there and say, well, absolutely, it hit the weak part of the statue. It hit the, 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 bra or the, the uh, iron mixed with clay. But it doesn't stop there. That stone rolls and it pulverizes all the way up to the golden head until there was nothing left but fine powder that the wind blew away. And old King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't know what to do. His mind was tormented and finally Daniel came. And Daniel said, I have seen what you have seen. The Lord has given me the, the understanding. And Daniel lists it all out. And he says, but let me tell you the interpretation. I would tell you that, that you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold. Meaning that there was a golden kingdom, if you will, called Babylon or Persia. Or, or I'm sorry, Babylon. We'll get to Persia in a moment. Babylon. And, and it was this head of gold. And then there would be a kingdom that came after Babylon that would be a little inferior. It was made of silver. It was the Medes and the Persians symbolized by the two arms. And the Medes and the Persians, although they were two separate kingdoms, they worked hand in hand. And then if you go a little further down the timeline of man's history, you would find that there would arise after the Medes and Persians, there would arise a great empire called Greece. Alexander the Great and all of the conquering that he did, if you remember your history, that was the kingdom that they symbolized by bronze. But then there would arise another kingdom as strong as iron, the kingdom of Rome, and the Roman Empire would stretch across the known world. But again, if you know anything about your history, there was a point in which the Roman Empire began to fracture and the Roman Empire began separated and it got mixed with some weaker parts, that iron mixed with clay. But that rock, how many times in the Word of God have you seen the rock being an indication of Jesus Christ? He's that, that cornerstone, that rock that no one can hew out. It's, it's Him. And, and this, this prophetic statement in Daniel was, Look at all of the kingdoms of the world. Look at all of the great things that has been wrought. Look at the power of those kingdoms of the world. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to lay them all at waste. Now this was happening in the Old Testament. Can you imagine a, a, a Israelite, a Jewish person that was living in bondage to Babylon... And they hear Daniel say, there is coming one. There is going to be a stone that comes. There's a kingdom coming that's going to destroy all of these other kingdoms. And they begin to get excited. And then, let me fast forward you a bit. Let me take you past the Christmas story and bring you to a man clothed in camel hair who ate locusts and wild honey whose name was John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness and he was a gruff, tough, manly man and he, would, he, he didn't have a lot of couth in him and he didn't try to sugarcoat anything. He would point his bony finger and this is what he would begin to say. He would begin to say as he cried preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would begin to cry the same things that Isaiah cried way back in the Old Testament. Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. As soon as as, uh, uh, John the Baptist began to say the kingdom of heaven is coming, there were those that began to grab hold of those prophetic words that Daniel talked about. There's coming a kingdom. Now they had, you know, uh, they had lived through, if you will, the generations, they had lived through those kingdoms. They hadn't quite got to the feet that were mixed with iron and clay yet. They were in the legs of iron of the Roman Empire. They had seen kingdoms come and kingdoms go. And now they begin to get excited. Hey, there is another kingdom. Maybe finally God is going to come and God is going to once and for all set us up right and we are going to be finally that kingdom he prophesied, the Israelite kingdom. We're going back to David's throne. Everything's going to be great. And then Jesus steps on to the the scene and Jesus begins to preach. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 says that from that time, meaning the time that Jesus was baptized uh, of John the Baptist in the Jordan River, from that time Jesus began to preach and he didn't say the kingdom of heaven is coming. He said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If I could translate that just a little bit for you and I, what Jesus began to say was, the kingdom of heaven is here. And old people got excited. You want to know why it made some people nervous? Well, when you start talking about a kingdom coming, when you start talking about a ruling monarchy, when you talk about a king, there were other kings in that area that got a little nervous. Hence, why you have little baby boys being killed during the time of Jesus' birth because there were rulers that got uh, a little uh, anxious that a king was going to be born that would usurp their throne. When Jesus came to earth, so did the kingdom of God. They didn't understand it completely. In fact, the book of Luke chapter 11 relates the story of Jesus who came and cast out a devil. And when that devil was gone... This man in whom the devil was in, when he was demon-possessed, he couldn't speak. The Bible uses the word dumb. He was mute. He, he couldn't speak. But when Jesus walks in and casts that devil out, the dumb spoke and people wondered. And there were those. Now think of this. Some said, well, the reason he can cast out the devil is because he's of the devil himself. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot of sense. And Jesus grabbed hold on him. And said, why in the world would the devil want to cast out the demons? A house divided would surely fall. But in verse 20 of Luke chapter 11 it says, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. If you go a little bit further, Luke chapter 17, he says, uh, uh, The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. You're not going to be able to say, oh, here's the time that the kingdom of God is coming. And he uses this phrase, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Be very careful. We're not talking about the Holy Ghost at this. What it meant was the kingdom of God is here among you now. 
Here's the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Here's all of the people. And they didn't understand that the kingdom of God was there right then, right now, when it walked among them. When they ate, of, when the 5,000 and 10,000 ate by the hand of Jesus, when they were eating that bread and that fish, they were partaking of the kingdom of God. When that leper was healed, he was healed because the kingdom of God had come. It was there. Now they didn't understand it. And by no means can I give you a full study, but I think it would behoove us to turn to Matthew chapter 13 because if you really want to know a, a, a good idea of what the kingdom of God is, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. He began to say this, it was that same day Jesus went out of the house and he goes and he sits there at the seaside and the multitudes gathered together. I may not read it uh, word for word. I may kind of skip along, but you can follow. He sat and the multitude is standing there on the shore. I want you to see all these parables that Jesus used to describe the kingdom of God. First off, he says the kingdom of heaven, or, or, or he said, uh, uh, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. And as he throws that seed out as he sows, some of the seed falls by the waysides and birds ate it up. Some seed fell in stony places that there wasn't much dirt, much earth. And they, they, they sprouted, but they didn't have anything to root into and they didn't have any nutrients to draw from. And the sun came up and they were scorched and they withered. Some of that seed fell among the thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked it out. And some fell on good ground and brought forth fruit. The disciples didn't understand it completely. They didn't catch it all, but Jesus described to them and he said, I want to explain to you what it is. The seed that when, when, when we begin to preach, when you hear about the word of the kingdom, this is verse, uh, this is verse uh, 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. If anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart and he received he that received the seed by the wayside. And then there was some that you're going to hear the word of the kingdom. You're going to hear the word of God, but it's stony places in your heart and it's those that are going to, uh, that, that's the seed that was by the wayside. Those that heareth the word and get excited to receive the word, but you can't, uh, you can't root it. It, it. It's there for a little bit. It's there for just a while, but tribulation's going to come and persecution's going to come and you'll be offended and you'll wither away. But then there's some that are going to receive the, song, the, the seed among the thorns. Those are those that hear the word. And then because there's something else inside, maybe the care of this world or the deceitfulness of riches is going to choke that word out and you will become unfruitful. But you that hear about the kingdom and you receive that seed into good ground, it's he that heareth the word and understands the word and beareth fruit. Now, I've preached so many times on this. Basically, here it is. The kingdom of God is being preached. And there is something for you and I to do. It just determines what you do with what you hear. Some people close their ears and they never hear it. It's like throwing your seed where there's nothing. Just throw it on that concrete out there. It's not going to grow. Some will hear the word. They let it sit out long enough and it, it's in stony places. There's not much depth. Oh, you might get a goosebump in a church service, but the birds come. 
weeds come. But let me take you a little bit further because I, I want to get somewhere. I don't have time to, to, to spend it on all of this. And then in verse 24, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like to a man who had sowed good seed in his field, and while he slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares. Tares means weeds. So he was sowing wheat in his field, and while he slept, somebody came and put a bunch of dandelion seeds or whatever weeds were there in his wheat. And when the time came that wheat sprouted, yet so did the weeds. And the servant says, well, what are we going to do? Can we go and pluck out the weeds? And, and he said, no, because if you go and pluck out the weeds, you'll uproot the wheat with it. So we'll let them grow together. But at the time of the harvest, I will say to the weepers, or the reapers, whether, not weepers, they'll weep later. I'll, I'll say to the reapers, go gather the weeds first. Bind them in bundles and burn them. But then I want you to go gather the good that remains. And if you look at verse 36, you find that Jesus was saying that he that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. It's Jesus. And the one that comes and puts those tares, that's the enemy, that's the devil. But there will be a harvest at the end of the world. And Jesus is going to come. You want to know why Jesus doesn't flick you off the face of the earth when you do something bad? Because in doing so, he would harm the good that's growing. And so he says, I'm going to give it to the end of time. When I can go and those that, are, uh, those that are evil will gather and burn them in the fire. Those that are good will gather them into the kingdom of heaven. He also said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. In which a man took and sowed in his field. And indeed, it's a small seed, the least of all seeds. But when it's grown, it's great among the herbs and becomes almost a tree. And the birds come and lodge. We'll get into a lot of this tonight. I just want you to understand what the kingdom of God is. Do you see there's a lot of planting? You see that there's a lot of sowing going on? The kingdom of heaven, verse 33, is like, is like uh, unto leaven which a, man, a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until that whole loaf was leavened. Or he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field, in which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy goes and sell all that he has, and buyeth the field. And the kingdom of heaven, again, is like a merchant man seeking a goodly pearl. When he found that one pearl that was better than all other pearls, he goes and sells all that he had and buys it. It echoes back to that seek ye first, the kingdom of God, that there is something you and I must treasure. There's something that you and I must hunger for. There's something that must get planted inside of our heart that lets us know the kingdom of God is right now. The kingdom of heaven is like a net cast into the sea. When they gather it back and they draw it back to shore, it has everything in it. It has good fish, it has seaweed, it has rocks, it has mussels, it has other fish. And you got to separate the good from the bad. That's what the kingdom of God is. You say, well, pastor, that's, that sounds good, but it doesn't quite get where I'm at right now. All right. Well, Paul said... In Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now that the reason he was saying meat or drink is because people were trying to just do things so that they could look right, they could look holy, and holiness is important, but it's not so much what you do as it is why or how you do it. It's not enough just to look the part. It's not enough just to come to church and say, I'm in the kingdom of God. 
there's some fruit to the Spirit. There's some righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let me take you a step further. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Some are puffed up. And some, uh, uh, but I'll come to you shortly if the Lord will. And, and you'll know it's not going to be, I'm not going to come in the speech of those that are puffed up. But I'm going to come in power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Jesus himself said, there's going to be some that say, Lord, Lord, but at the end of time, I'm not going to know who they are. There's a lot of people that are religious. There are a lot of people that say, I'm in the kingdom of God. But if there's no power behind it, then all you're doing is talking. And there's not a lot in that talk. Let me show you some things the kingdom of God is not. And I'm going to pull a little bit from last week's sermon. We know that unrighteous, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what's not in the kingdom of God. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they're not the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Those that have been washed, those that have been sanctified, those that have been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what the kingdom of God is. He goes on a little bit further, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that the first man, this is, I'm sorry, verse 45, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. The second, or the last Adam, was a quickening spirit. And later on, you find that, that the first Adam, that's Adam and Eve. The second Adam, that's Jesus Christ. But I like what it says. It says, the first man is from the earth. He's earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, Jesus. And as is the earthy, such are those that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are those that are the heavenly. But you and I, we have borne the image of the earthly, and we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Again, I know you're kind of sitting there, and sometimes I do it too because there's so much that I could put into this. What is the kingdom of God? Well, first off, it was brought when Jesus was born and walked on this earth. So I want you to begin, just close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to think of the gospels of Jesus Christ. And I want you to begin to think of everything that he taught, everything that he talked about, everything that he did, every miracle that he did. And let me just tell you, that is the kingdom of God. Do you have a vision in your mind yet of what Jesus did while he was on this earth? Is there something right now that captivates you? Maybe it was the healing of the blind. Maybe it was the setting of someone that was bound by sin and in captivity of the devil. Maybe it was when he cast out the demon. Maybe it was the, the Beatitudes or the Sermon of the Mount. That's the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you this question. Would you like that in your life today? Would you like a healing in your life today? That's what the kingdom of God does. Would you like deliverance from sin? Would you like deliverance from the captivity of your mind? Would you like deliverance of the things that, that you have struggled with? If Jesus did it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I can assure you the kingdom of God is still valid today and he wants to do that in your life right now. That's the kingdom. Now, pretty soon, just in a few months, we'll celebrate July the 4th. 
And July the 4th is more than barbecues and it's more than uh, uh, fireworks. It's the celebration of this country that you and I live in. I don't think it's a stretch for, for, for me to say, and I, and I don't think it would be a stretch for you to say, I'm glad I live in the United States of America. Now, I know we're not a kingdom, but let me use that for, for, the, for the purpose of the sermon. There are blessings in living in the United States of America. This is a good, and again, I know I'm, I'm pulling democracies and kingdom, but it's good to live in this kingdom. If you don't believe me, then why don't you immigrate to North Korea and tell me if it's good living in that kingdom. See, there are privileges you have when you are in a kingdom. There are privileges you have when you go there. The kingdom of God is right now. And so how would you get into this kingdom? It's not enough just to say I'm in that kingdom. It's not enough just to come into the kingdom and take advantage of the kingdom when there's not a citizenship that's been given to you. In fact, this is what Nicodemus, a Pharisee, one of the rulers of the Jews, it's another common part. Uh, John chapter 3 verse 1, he comes to Jesus by night and he says unto him, Rabbi, I know that you're a teacher come from God. I know that nobody can do these miracles except God be with him. I don't really know. He didn't ask a question per se, but Jesus answered like he did. He says, well, verily, verily, listen closely. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, I, Or he can't see the kingdom of God, rather. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered again, verily, verily, listen clearly. I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. For that which is born is flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. And so I'm telling you, you must be born again. You want to be part of the kingdom of God now? You want to have those privileges that God allows, that healing, that virtue, that deliverance? It's the kingdom of God that comes when you're born again. I would take you to the book of Acts chapter 1. It happens, I mean, there's really no separation between the end of the Gospels and the first book of Acts. We know that Luke wrote the book of Luke and he probably wrote the book of Acts there. And, and, and I would tell you that he just kind of, he didn't hardly pick up his pen as he left Luke and entered Acts. He said, let me tell you of all the things that Jesus did both to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. Let me tell you about how through the Holy Ghost he gave commandments unto the apostles he had chosen. How he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. How he was seen of them for 40 days and spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And when they gathered together he commanded them, they don't, don't depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father. John truly baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not very long after this, not in just too many days. And they said at that point, they said, Lord, at that point are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't quite have it down yet. They were still looking for a conquering hero. They were still looking for an actual earthly throne. 
Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but you shall receive this. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And then when he says that, up he goes to heaven. They stand there with mouths agape and they're steadfastly looking toward heaven until two angels come and say, why are you standing gazing into heaven? The same Jesus that you just saw go to heaven shall come in like manner as you've seen him go to heaven. And so they go to Jerusalem and there they go into an upper room. And while they had heard the Lord talk about the kingdom of God, and while they had been recipients of watching the miracles that God had done there on earth, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in all one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them clothed in tongues like as a fire. It sat on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The windows were open at that time, it was the, the time there of the, of the Feast of Pentecost. And there were Jerusalem, there were Jews, devout men of every nation. And they were walking on the outside of that upper room. And they heard every man that was in that upper room, and woman too. They heard them speak in different languages. We hear them speak in the tongues of the Parthians and the Medes and the Eliamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia. We hear the language of Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phagiri and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Serene. We hear strangers of Rome. We hear Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. They're all doing this. They're all speaking in our tongues. And here's what they were doing. They were speaking of the wonderful works of God. Because at that moment, they realized this is the kingdom of God. That everything that Jesus had done on this earth in those three and a half years of his ministry, now it suddenly made sense. Jesus' own words, he had said, greater things will you do than what I did on this earth. You mean Jesus will be able to pray for the sick and they'll be healed? Absolutely. You mean we'll be able to cast out demons? Absolutely. You mean we can minister to those and set the captive free? Absolutely. If you're in the kingdom of God here. I have, and, and I, there, there may even be some in our audience that has done this. There is a, a portion of, of becoming a citizen of the United States that mirrors what must happen if you're going to be a citizen of this kingdom of heaven. If a person immigrates to the United States and so chooses to make this not just their home, but to make this their citizenship, there is a portion of the oath that they take in which they say, I have to renounce where I've been from. I have to renounce the laws and, and the things that have governed me up to this point in any other nation. And I have to submit myself to the rule and the, and the, the laws of the United States of America. The same is true in your heart today. 
We talked about being baptized in Jesus' name. We talked about being filled with the Holy Ghost. But it's not enough just to do those things. My question is, does he rule over the kingdom of your heart? Or have you allowed yourself to come to an altar and say, Lord, I'm asking you to look at this old fleshly kingdom that I've lived in, this heart of sin, this heart uh, of, of lust, this heart of all of those things that are from the enemy. And I've asked you, Lord, would you come and would you let me renounce the things that I've been? Would you let me repent of my sins? Would you let me be baptized in Jesus' name so that I can be in the kingdom of God? Would you fill me with the Holy Ghost until I speak with other tongues so that, Lord, I can be in the kingdom of God? I want you to reign supreme over my life today. Because, God, I see that your kingdom is right now. And if you seek first the kingdom, then everything else falls into place. If you've never sought his kingdom Or if you're only seeking some of the finer points of the kingdom It doesn't work that way See, so many people, we want the, we want the power But we don't want to give him the authority We want the forgiveness of sins But we don't want to submit to the king We want the kingdom, not the king Today I'm telling you that if you want his kingdom here, you've got to submit your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to ask you to stand today. Hallelujah. There is privileges of living for God today. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom. All of those other things shall be added unto you. While I am so thankful for heaven, and that's what we're going to preach a little bit about tonight. While I am so thankful for heaven, the fact that I have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, the fact that I have been filled with His Spirit and washed in His blood, means I've got a privilege right now, today. And I want to invite us as they begin to sing behind me, I want to invite you to do a few things. Number one, if you're not part of the kingdom of God. If I begin to preach today and the word of God is going forth and in your heart you know I'm not in his kingdom, then I ask you to listen to the words he spoke to uh, Nicodemus. Except a man be born again. Peter said it best after the day of Pentecost was fallen and after he preached the sermon. He said, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children all that are far off. What is the promise? The promise of the kingdom of God. If you're here today and you're in the kingdom but you're not letting the king reign over your life, you need to make that right today. You need to say, Lord, I'm surrendering. Not my will, but thine be done. I've got to decrease. You've got to increase. You've got to ask him, does he reign supreme? And if you can get those two things right today, then tonight when we talk about the future privileges of the kingdom, you can rest assured you can go there. But I promise you, you will not get the future privileges of the kingdom if you don't let the kingdom reign in your heart today.
I'm going to open these altars. I'm going to invite you to step out of your pew. I'm going to invite you to step out of your chair and take a step forward. Let it be a way of symbolizing you getting closer to Jesus. A way of you saying, I don't want to stay where I am. I want to, I want to walk to your presence, Lord. And if you'll do that, God's going to meet you long before you take that first step. In Jesus' name, would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice? Would you talk to him right now?